0: Well, hello there. Good morning, it's nice to be with you. If you don't know who my name is, whoa. If you don't know who I am, my name is Russell and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's so good to be with you guys. We're gonna jump in right away this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series of Jesus the Storyteller. It is our second to last week. And uh, we've been talking about some parables that Jesus has spoken while he was living here on earth. In case you don't know what parables are, uh, think of parables as short stories with meaning that goes deeper than what it appears to be. You might say it's a story with intent. You might say it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But what you really need to hold on to is that Jesus tells these parables so that his audience he's speaking to could reflect and think about their life as they trust and follow God in his kingdom. And this morning specifically, we're gonna talk about three parables in one. I like to call the lost and found parables. they're some of the most beautiful parables that Jesus speaks. It's the parable of the lost sheep the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. In these parables, you're gonna see three common themes throughout. First being that we are all lost. Second being that God is seeking for you to come home. And third, that heaven celebrates whenever you come home. And yet at the same time, you're gonna see how each member of the Trinity is reaching out to the sheep, the coin, and the son. For me specifically, I'm really excited to talk about uh, these parables because this past week at camp uh, for our high school students, we talked all about these parables. If you're a high school student, give a shout really quick. Okay, thank you. Glad some of you are here. That would have been embarrassing. But we went up to Northern Arizona University, which is in Flagstaff. We had some great weather. It rained on us. Uh, And an organization called Christ in Youth programmed out this camp and led us through. We got to join a bunch of other youth groups, and it was a really awesome time. We ended up taking about 60 of our students and leaders Uh, and we just got to be together. Our theme for the week of camp was called broadcast. And we talked about how Jesus broadcast a message about the kingdom of God for everybody to come home to and for everybody to listen and how we can live with him now. You see, COI intentionally chose to talk about multiple parables that Jesus spoke because really these were his short stories that were a broadcast on the kingdom of God. And so during our third day at camp, we had a bunch of different evening speakers, but we had the same morning speaker every morning. And during our third day of camp in the morning, our speaker talked about the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And in the evening, we had a new speaker and he talked about the parable of the lost son. And it was really cool to see how God moved throughout our students' lives when these speakers were talking, when a worship team happened and we were <laughs> praising God and getting crazy when we had our individual small group times with leaders and students and had conversations, when we had personal Salem moments to stop and breathe and to be with God. But a really unique moment that we had with Jesus was when we were at the bottom of a cave below the surface of the earth in the lava river tubes outside of Flagstaff. Raise your hands if you've ever been to the lava river tubes. Okay, so some of you know, if you don't know what the lava ruptus are, it's about like 30, 40 minutes outside of Flagstaff. uh, And it's this hike that you don't go up, but you go down into the earth. At some points, it's almost as big as this room. And at some points you're crawling through everywhere you can go. But we went all the way down to the back of this cave, which was a mile long. And as we got to the very back of the cave, we spent this moment together talking about light and darkness, and we began to sing this song called "Waymaker" together. And I actually want to show you a little bit of that experience. We got a thirty-second video of what it looks like in the pitch-black dark when a group of students and leaders uh, sing to the God, the Creator of this world, in the black darkness of His creation. So, give your attention to the screens. See, Waymaker, one more time. Here we go. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who You are. Do you are? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God,
1: that is who You
0: are. So, as you can see. That was a powerful experience for a lot of our students and even our leaders. They would say this was a core memory. And I think it was a core memory for them because they went into the darkness and they conquered some fears. Some students were terrified. We actually had a leader even get hurt, but God met us in this cave below the earth. And it was a really powerful experience, a great week of camp. Many of our students actually decided to come home to Jesus for the first time. And a lot of them want to get baptized over these next couple of weeks which is why we have the tub up today. We're gonna see one baptism during this service and we had one happen at the service before this. And we're gonna have a couple more happening over the course of these next few weeks. But we wanted to just talk about these three parables and help you and explain what we learned about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. So can I do that? Cool. First, let me help give some context as to why Jesus would have been explaining these parables and what these lost and found stories mean. You see, Jesus was often found with the people of this world who were sinners, who were outcasts, and who were different from everybody else. For us, it's like thinking about the people we work with that we really don't like or get really annoyed with. It's thinking about the people in our life that have different political views and things can get heated in conversations. It's thinking about people who have different religious beliefs and don't follow the same God that we do. Jesus would have actually been with these types of people in your life. And it's an example of who he would have been with in this moment. You see, he was trying to reach them, reaching the lost. So you can imagine when religious leaders saw Jesus hanging out with these sinners and the outcasts, and when he was not hanging out with them who were holy and who were righteous, they became frustrated, they were annoyed, and they started to complain and they started to gossip. They would say things like, I can't believe Jesus is eating with sinners. I can't believe Jesus hanging out with the people who are outcasts. I can't believe he would spend time with them. Now, I'm not sure if they were intentionally speaking this at Jesus or if maybe they were just whispering it to themselves, but lo and behold, Jesus overheard what they were saying. And because he heard what they were saying, he gets started on these lost and found parables to these people. So in the first parable of the lost sheep, he opens up this dialogue with the lost in Luke 15, four, and he begins comparing the group of lost people to sheep. Here's what he says. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And so I don't know if you have this same thought in your mind like I do, but when I first hear about Jesus and I first hear about sheep, there's often a lot of paintings and photos that we see of Jesus with sheep. You guys have seen those, right? You guys have maybe seen the images or the paintings of Jesus where he's like holding a little baby sheep. Yeah, I think we do that because we often have this, we have this reality in our head that Jesus can be a shepherd in our life. And that is exactly what Jesus is actually trying to do in this parable when he's teaching to these people. He's painting himself as a shepherd who goes after those of them that are lost. And so right away, this parable shows us that the son of God is seeking the lost. And in this instant, we see that the lost are being characterized as sheep. Now, Before we begin to compare ourselves to sheep and we think that like, oh, God's calling us cute and he's calling us pure and he's calling us good. That's not exactly what's happening here. If you know the reality of sheep, sheep are really afraid. And because they're really afraid, they can often be kind of dim and get really lost. I mean, there's some ridiculous stories about sheep and the weird antics that they get in. For instance, sheep need to have a shepherd guide them wherever they go, because otherwise they'll just get stuck In one place, or they'll wander around and they'll just be, they won't know what's happening. They'll starve to death. Shepherds have to lead the sheep to grass patches so they can eat their food. And then, even then, when sheep get to their grass patches and they start eating up all the grass, if they eat it all out, they'll just stop and stand and look. It's all gone. And they won't think to go and get more grass, to go and get more food. Again, sheep are not the smartest. We just read at the beginning that sheep tend to get lost because they're wanderers. Sheep tend to get lost because they're afraid. Sheep tend to get lost because they don't really have a good sense of direction and who to follow. But know this, the focus of this parable isn't on how dim or how afraid or how lost we can be. The focus is on how merciful Jesus is in our life. You see, in our sinful human nature, we don't know any better. When we're sheep, we end up getting lost but it's just because it's our nature to often get lost. We're afraid, we don't know what to do. We're not sure who to put our trust in. But again, the focus isn't on our ability to be lost, but rather the savior's love to come and to find us. In John 10 verses 10 through 11, Jesus actually goes a little bit further and helps explain this parable by saying, the thief who is Satan comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I, Jesus have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus is clearly showing us that we have been scattered by evil in this world, that a thief is coming to kill, to steal, and to destroy the good things that we have and to keep us off the path and away from the kingdom. But Jesus came to give life to the fullest. Jesus is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. If you remember, it said that even if there was 99 sheep who were where they were supposed to be and were doing good, the shepherd would go off and he would find the one that was lost. It's an example of what the Savior's love looks like in our life. Personally, that's why I really like the song Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. I think some of the words in this song have really a great application to this and what it means for us. And I wanna try something. We're not gonna have beautiful voices. I'll tell you, I won't. But I want us to just sing a little bit of this song. So I'll get us started and you'll know when we're gonna stop. Please join me or else it's gonna sound really bad. Here we go. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Great job. You guys sounded great. Now, sorry to bring the mood down after that, but the reality is we are all sinners at heart. And it's our nature to get lost because sometimes we are afraid just like these sheep, but Jesus is the good shepherd and he is seeking us out to bring us home. He finishes up with this in this parable in verses five through six. And when he finds it, the shepherd finds his sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Remember this parable isn't about how our ability is to sin, but it's on the mercy of Jesus. When the shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep, he rejoices and even brings it back with his friends and his neighbors to throw a party. And then he says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. When the lost come home, heaven celebrates. The reality is for some of us watching online or in the room right now is you may feel lost, whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not. But if you are lost, I want you to know that there's a party waiting for you, that heaven wants to celebrate you coming home Jesus wants you to find your way home and Jesus is seeking you out so you can find a way home. That's the parable of the lost sheep that we learned about. Here's the parable of the lost coin. It starts out in Luke 15, verse eight. And it's Jesus actually just going right into this next story. He doesn't give any context as to what just happened in the parable of the lost sheep, but he goes straight away into the parable of the lost coin. And this is what he says. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, when you read this first verse, uh, it's kind of easy to look over the importance and think that there, it just may be kind of surface level in its content. But so there's a couple things you need to understand in this. Two specifically, the first is that the silver coin you're seeing as lost is valuable to the one who lost it. Here's some context. If you're married, you know how valuable your wedding ring are, your wedding ring is when you are married. And you definitely know how valuable your wedding ring is when you lose it. There's no excuses you can make if you say, oh, I was doing the dishes and it fell down the drain. Or I was playing basketball and it flung off my finger. Or I was just twiddling with it during a meeting and it just fell off and now I can't find it. You know how valuable it is because you lost it and you're not going to rest until you find it, mostly because you know how your spouse is going to think because you lost it. The same thing is for this woman. When she lost her silver coin, she couldn't rest until she found it. And in the same way, God can't rest until he knows he has found you. The second thing is that you have to see the coin had to be pushed or moved away in order for it to be lost. Right, this coin didn't just stand up and roll away on its own. It, it had to be placed and moved or, or placed and pushed away to where the lady couldn't find it anymore. And I think if we look at our lives and if we think about people in our lives, we can think of countless stories of people who once believed in God and turned away because they felt like they were burned by religion or burned by another person and they were treated in a very ungodly way. You actually might have people that pop to your mind right now that you can think have been burned by religion or burned in an ungodly way. You might actually even be in that boat right now this morning. So how does God seek out those who have been burned by religion and pushed away by religion? Well, I think he sends the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died, he died so part of himself and God could live with us forever. In John 14, 26, Jesus talks about how God will send the Holy Spirit to be Jesus' representative here on earth, helping us understand and teaching us all the things in the way of Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians verse 10, Paul writes to the church of Corinth that God has revealed his wisdom to us by his spirit and that this Holy Spirit is searching out everything in our world. You see, the Holy Spirit was sent to those of us who believe in Jesus so that we could understand the way of Jesus and the words of God. But the Holy Spirit was also sent for those who are lost and are needing to find a way home. The Holy Spirit is just waiting for the moment to bring new life and to bring a new home for our hearts and for our souls. God cannot rest until he finds you. He sent his son and his spirits to bring you home. And once again, here's the result of what it looks like when you're found and you came home. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." When you come back home to God, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is only celebration. You might have turned from God because you've been pushed away by religion or you felt burned by somebody, but God has never given up on you. He is actively trying to get your attention. He wants to give you a full, abundant life that is overflowing with him. The Holy Spirit searches for you to come home. That's the parable of the lost coin. And our third parable is the last of our lost and found. And the stakes get even higher in this parable because the person lost is a son of a very wealthy and esteemed father. And he gets lost in a really brutal way. And so here's how Jesus goes right into this third parable. Again, he goes from story to story to story. And here's what he has to say at the beginning of this. There was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And I wanna pause here really quick. You need to understand the importance of the son asking for his father to give him his share of the estate. It might seem like a harmless request, but in this time you only received an inheritance when your father or your family members that were older than you have passed away and died. Normally in a father-son relationship in this culture, the son would work for his dad and would do everything he could. He would live by his authority and his rule. And when the father passed away, he would bestow an inheritance upon his son so he could continue having this wealth and continue living a good life. But the son is basically saying to the father here, I don't care about you anymore. I don't need you in my life. I'm tired of living under your rules and living under what you would have to say. In fact, I would rather have my inheritance now. It would be better if you would just die so I could have what I want in this moment. You see, the son knew what he was doing here. He knew the disrespect that this would bring to the father and to his family. He knew what the right thing to do was and he knew what the wrong thing to do was, but he was lost. The reality is the son thought that he had a better way of living his life apart from the father. So here's what happens when the son receives his inheritance and thinks he has a better way to live this life. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. In this instant, the son has took his inheritance and he tries to get as much distance as he can between his father and his family. And we see that he spends all his inheritance on reckless living. On the outside, people might've been looking at the sky and thinking that, man, he is living the life. This is the kind of life that we often get caught up in our celebrity culture and in our social media culture. Think of the people that are influencers on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok, how we often watch some of the crazy and some of the wild videos that we do and we think to ourselves, man, I wish I could do that. I would never be able to do that. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough fame. I'm never gonna be as popular as they are. The son's lifestyle would have resembled the celebrity culture as well, where people would have been drawn to this type of living and would have been drawn to all the money that he was spending on his friends and spending around him. Think of like our athletes, our movie stars, our music artists. Sometimes we wish we could be them. We wish we could be their friends and just spend a day in their celebrity culture and be influenced by all the popularity and all the wealth that they have. You see, the son was trying to cheat the system. The son thought that he was experiencing life to the full. And he thought by getting his inheritance now, he would be able to experience that full life. But the reality is the son was living in sin and sin will always trick you into thinking that things are going well. Sin looks good on the outside, but it only brings temporary joy. And it ends up separating you from God in ways that you didn't know were imaginable. And so what happened next for the son? He ran out of money a famine hit the land. He had no food, he had no job, and any of his friends that he possibly would have had have left his life and he can't talk to them or hang out with them anymore. And so he had to get a job feeding pigs so that way he could continue to live. The son had gone from being a child of a wealthy father in a country to a low servant that had nothing. And I want you to understand, feeding pigs was a job reserved for the lowest class of people during this time. And not to mention, Pigs are pretty gross creatures. I mean, the only thing good that comes out of a pig is bacon. Like without bacon, our breakfasts would stink. Our hamburgers would stink. Our sandwiches would stink. Like think of the BLT without the B. That's a big deal. You're just a vegetarian and I don't want to do that. But pigs were gross. They would bathe in their own fecal matter. They would eat leftovers and slops that were put in front of them. And it'd be disgusting things to eat. And yet the son was in a state where he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating so that way he could continue to live. That'd be filthy. He was lost. He didn't know who he was as a human being anymore. You see, when we get lost in our sin, we can also feel like we're less than a human. We feel like there's no way life could get worse and we feel like there's no way home for us. So for the son, let's see what happened once he came to this conclusion in his life. When he came to his senses, he said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm gonna set out and go back to my father. And I'm gonna say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for his son he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. "'I am no longer worthy to be called your son.'" And that is it, I thought I had to read more. There should be, yeah. "'But the father said to his servants, "'Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. "'Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. "'Bring the fattened calf and kill it. "'Let's have a feast and celebrate.'" for the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here's something you need to know about the context for the father and the son in this culture. According to the law, according to the Jewish culture, the father had every right to let his son stay outside of his house, to never enter, and just to let the servants deal with his son. According to law, the father had every right to even put his son to death because of the disrespect that he put on his family name and himself. Yet we see the father run to meet his son, embrace him, hug him and kiss him, even though he was covered in filth. Now there's three items that the father bestows upon his son here that I think are so important for us to capture what's happening in this moment. First, the father told his servants to bring the best robe and put it around him. This robe would have represented the son's identity being restored to the family. The father didn't want his son dressed like a servant, but he wanted him dressed in a robe to show him that he was worthy and he was valuable to who he was. Then the father placed his shoes on the son's feet as a symbol to say, your past is forgotten. Let's move forward together and let's live together now that you are home. And then the father puts a ring on the son's hand. The father wanted his son to know that he was a part of his family that this was his son. And I love that third item because that's actually something that we did for our high school students this past week at camp. Throughout the week, when one of our students would come up to any of us leaders and decide that they wanted to come home, we would give them this white silicone ring and we would place it on their finger. And in this ring, we would tell them that There's no power in the ring of itself. The ring doesn't give you salvation. You're not saved because of this ring, but this ring is a symbol of you deciding to come home to Jesus. This ring is a symbol of the kingdom of God you're joining. So when you feel anxious, when you feel depressed, when you feel like you're lost, you can look at this ring and you can know that you are home. The father will always welcome you home in any season of your life. When your friends ask what you're doing with this ring, you can tell them, I'm home. I'm living in the kingdom of God now. When you're living your life in the kingdom, you get to live with God, the father, Jesus, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And just like how our story says, the father threw a party for a son, we threw a party anytime one of our students would have came home in this past week of camp. You see in these three parables, there's a common theme throughout all of it all who are lost are welcomed home to the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you've never heard the name of Jesus before, if you followed God, God but you chose to walk away, or if you're in a relationship with Jesus now and you're feeling a little lost, you might be carrying around sin, guilt, and shame, but the Father isn't waiting for you to come home. He is running towards you. He is seeking you out and he wants to restore you to your rightful place at home with him. The Father wants you to come home. And so when you decide to come home, you're welcoming the kingdom of God into your life where the king has rule and reign over everything and how you live. You see the kingdom of God comes with limitless grace and God diligently searching for his people, but with the expectation that God's grace will be replicated in the lives of his people. So if you're in the room right now, if you're watching online and you would say you're not lost, but that you are home with Jesus, then here's your challenge. Your challenge is to start welcoming people home. Pray for those that you want to come home, the people you see in your influence, the people you see in your communities, in your workplaces. Join the Spirit in trying to reach those who are lost. Make disciples everywhere. Baptize them in the name of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Because you see, Jesus himself mirrored the image of his Father and invited people to receive God's forgiveness in their life and to participate in God's kingdom. So in whatever we say and whatever we do, the initiating grace and the acceptance of God displayed by Jesus should be evident in all that we do and that we say. But this morning we're gonna practice celebrating people when they come home. As I said, this past week of camp, we had students decide to come home and we had some students that wanna get baptized. So this morning we're gonna baptize one of our students here together. And what I want us to do is when this student gets baptized, I want us to celebrate. I want us to get loud. I want us to clap. I want us to throw a party for the one who has come home. You see, we choose to do our baptisms together here as a church family because we want to join in on this eternal decision that our students, that our church family is making. We want to be a part of that together. So to help you understand a little more about what we believe baptism to be and why we do it, check out the video here on the screen.